All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Creating Structure podcast. I'm John Wheaton. Thanks for listening. Uh, my esteemed guest this week, this episode, which I believe is number 27, is Diana Darling, co-founder and president of AN Media Group. Diana, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. I'm so excited to be here and to talk to your audience. I am so excited to have you. We met, how long ago was it? 10 years ago? When did Facade Plus start? It started 10 years ago. I believe next year's our 10th year anniversary. So we started in 2012. Yeah. Yeah. Next year will be our 10th year anniversary. So I think we met a couple of years after that. Yeah. Did you do one at UCSF in San Francisco? Yes. That was the first one I attended. It was a very large keynote event. And uh, I remember a gentleman from Borough Happel talking about the Arctic, the ARTIC, the Anaheim Regional Transportation Hub. And we actually got to work on that job later on. So it was fun. Oh, yeah. I remember that. I had a really, really bad cold at that event. And I was using Zycam. This is a (sighs) significant point in my life. And I lost my sense of smell. (gasps) <gasps> oh my goodness. At that event. So that was my, my moment at that. But, that would, uh, yeah, that that would a be a memorable, ago. yeah, memorable event. Well, I'm glad I, I'm glad to know you and I appreciate all the interaction we've had over the years. Um, so let's, uh, let's get some, some input and some feedback from you. Um, you obviously are a media pro, media expert, and very involved in architecture and other areas of community. Tell us where you're from, what your background is, um, what you do at AN Media, and, and where'd you go to school, all that stuff. Okay, I'll tell you a little history. So um, I'm originally from Texas. I uh, grew up in Grand Prairie, Texas, in between Dallas and Fort Worth. Uh, I went to school. Um, I thought I was going to be an accountant and went to UT Arlington for one year and transferred to UT Austin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I spent one year there in accounting and thought, I don't understand what marketing is. I don't I don't had no exposure to any of this kind of stuff in my life, but I knew that I liked, I had been in home economics when I was in high school mm-hmm. and my girlfriend was in home economics. So I switched to the school of home economics, which is a BS uh, at UT. And I have a degree in textiles and clothing. That was wow. my other love. It was counting or numbers. I love numbers and I liked fashion. So um, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to go into some kind of fashion business, maybe be a textile designer or something like that. Uh, So I moved to New York City when I was like 26, 27, about 30 years ago. Um, And I had started out in Dallas working for Neiman Marcus in direct mail. And I kind of carried that path for 20 years. I worked uh, for catalog companies of Bloomingdale's, uh, Victoria's Secret, The Gap. Um, I did direct mail marketing. I was a production director. I bought printing. I bought paper. Um, I ran budgets for the, the department. I did photo shoots. Um, so the, you know, after 20 years of doing that, my last job, I was working for the gap and I was an expat in London helping set up some in-store marketing, uh, in Europe um, and set up processes and stuff in a London, uh, design office. And I did that for two years. Um, about 18, 20, 19 years ago. And then I thought when I came back to the States, my daughter was uh, four or five at the time, maybe turning, maybe she was turning five. She was in kindergarten when we came back. And um, I didn't really want to do that anymore. I was mm-hmm. like, I thought at one point in my life, if I could work for the gap, that would be my pinnacle job. And then I worked for the gap. And if I could stay someplace longer than three years, um, that was my goal. So I stayed at the gap for five years. I, um, uh, what was the other thing I wanted to do? I just lost my train of thought. So I, okay. I, I accomplished everything I wanted to do. And while we were there, so, um, I was married to Bill Minking, who's my partner, um, who started, I started the paper with, and Bill is an architectural historian. Um, 
and had been talking to people in London about starting a magazine in the United States based on a publication called Building Design. It mm-hmm. came out weekly. It was a tabloid format. And um, Bill and I were like, I don't know, maybe we could do this. So we came back to the U.S. I didn't have a job. We had some severance money. Um, and we were like, well, let's try it. We got a little bit of money from some friends and family, maybe like $30,000. I don't even know if it was that much. Had my severance. I thought, did a projection. I took a a continuing education class at NYU on how to sell advertising. I figured out how to do a competitive set, what a media kit looked like. Um, I've never been in sales before. Uh, And we did it. And I did this projection that I thought, oh, we'll make a million dollars in the first year. (laughs) <laughs> love it love it love it i think it took us five years to make a million dollars um but that's how it all started bill was doing the architectural portion the editorial managing that and i have always run the business with sales marketing hr it uh, uh that whole part of the business so that's how i ended up here i mean that's kind of a short story over 30 years but um that's kind of my my history, my background. So I've been still in New York City. I live downtown in Tribeca. Our offices are in Tribeca. Um, and at this point with COVID, we have about 20 employees. 10 of them are New York City and 10 of them live somewhere else in the United States. Wow. 10 New York City, 10 somewhere else in the U.S. Interesting. What's it like for, obviously, you, the girl left Texas and went to New York and then London and back. So you must love New York. Do you like living in New York? All that action, all that energy. People ask that question. And at this point in my life, I think, Oh, you know how a lot of people like I've got to go home. You just want to go home. You just Mm -hmm. want to be by your family. I don't, I have my daughter here. Um, You know, I lost bill in April, 2020 bill died from um, complications from cancer I was very sorry to hear that, by the way. Yeah, thank you. So, um, you know, you, 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 this is my home. I have a home outside of the city. I have a Mm -hmm. big, you know, build, you know, fortunately got a big loft in Tribeca in like the late seventies. Oh, wow. I'm very lucky to have a rent stabilized, very large space in the city. And this just becomes your life. Yeah. Um, so I would love to go back to Texas, but sometimes, you know, What's going on in Texas isn't so easy for somebody that's lived in New York for 30 years. Um, I'm here for a while. And and you were in the Dallas area? Is that where you grew up? Yes. So in between Dallas and Fort Worth, for those of you that don't know, there's about 40 miles. It's called the Mid-Cities. There's uh, Hearst, Euless, Bedford, Irving, Arlington, Grand Prairie. Yeah. Yeah, good. That's great. Yeah, I'm glad you, you... That may be the quickest I've ever heard a guest summarize 30 years. Well done. Um, I've got to go back to a okay, couple of points. Okay. I love because I'm thinking our audience, which many are design professionals, glass and glazing and exterior wall subcontractors and a variety of other people in and around the industry. They're going, how in the world did somebody get from Neiman Marcus, Bloomingdale's and The Gap to architecture, to to the AN Media Group. I know one of the one of your publications is Architects Newsletter, but their newspaper. There's more than that, and the Facade Plus. You guys were an early pioneer in that. Um, so thanks for that. But it sounds like Bill was key in the that the, like the yin and yang of this. Like he sounds like he was the visionary content creator as an architectural historian, and you were the more of a COO, integrator, sales mark, all those things. Is that a fair statement? I mean, I always wanted to have my own business and I just never knew what it was going to be. And it was like he had this idea to have the the uh, the the paper. And so it was a business. And I was like, I was really intrigued to understand how to have a business. And I thought, okay, I know how to buy printing. I know how to buy paper. Those are two large costs in a media company. Um, I didn't know how to do sales. Um, and the employee part, I didn't realize would be like the third key. So it's, you know, that is a big part of any business 
and it's not the part that I'm the best at. Mm-hmm. Um, but those three components. And when we started the paper, I thought if I can control paper and printing, which is which we'd be spending a lot of money on, and I knew how to buy it and where to go to buy it, that would help a lot. And that's one reason I thought we could do it. Um, I think starting in New York City also was really important. And we started when New York City was having a boom in construction in 2003. Um, there was just a lot changing in the city. We had connections to a lot of organizations here. Um, you know, New York City, as you know, is a hub for um, architecture and design, but there's all these organizations that support the profession, like the Architectural League. There's a large AIA chapter here, the Van Allen Institute. There's a lot of universities and schools and all of that uh, combined and bill had relationships with all those people oh, Plus, wow. we brought in a person uh that had worked in magazines before to kind of help us get us off the ground and um she brought in a lot of writers that we didn't have relationships with so it was just this new thing people didn't they thought there's no room for a new media company we've got art record we've got um at the time it wasn't architect it was a predecessor to um architecture it was called architecture magazine Mm -hmm. uh there was metropolis and you know there was just like a handful of magazines and they didn't think that there would be room for something else and we were doing something that was different we were going to be a regional publication um so we started out in new york city with one region and so you know i have these ideas i created beyond the architects newspaper all the other ideas have come from me. Okay. Plus tech plus the newsletter program. We have um, CE strong, our continuing education platform. Um, we've started a magazine for the interior market and interior. All those things are, I think I'm a serial entrepreneur in a way. Um, I have one business, but I have a lot of different things. All of our digital, mar- uh, digital social media uh, channels that we have the websites there's a lot of pieces to this octopus um a lot of arms yeah but um so you know and bill bill was a person that was out in the world he was kind of like our pr front um (laughs) he loved socializing he loved going to events bill was always traveling to italy or Germany or China or someplace being invited to something. So he really put us out on a global in the, in a, on the global landscape uh, with mm-hmm. his connections. Um, Bill taught um, city planning and um, urban design, not well, urban history at Pratt. Oh, um, he's a tenured professor there. So I see. He also brought in the whole academia side um, and his relationships, you know, across that, so, you know, when you do something like this, it takes not only for the audience development, it takes all of these relationships. It's all about relationships. Yes. So on his side with the editorial team, you know, picking the right editors, picking people that are out and about curious, um, gathering information. And, you know, we had a particular, we have a particular way that we write, which we're not associated with, um, we're not, a, we are affiliated, but we aren't an association. We don't, we're not owned by a corporation. So we mm-hmm. can kind of be critical of the industry, which, you know, architecture is about criticism and looking and what's happening out in the world and in the cities and buildings that, that are going up. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and people r- love that about us, um, that we've always taken that point of view. Um And that's what kind of sets us apart. But in the beginning, you know, getting back to the regionality. So we started New York, I think it was in 2000, that was in 2003, in 2007. You know, I just thought, oh, we've got to be a bigger, in a bigger market. We launched the West Coast. Bill was from LA or from the West Coast. We always wanted to be in California. Um, So we launched that. Then we launched the Midwest and then um, we launched the Southwest. Okay. In, in 2016, we were doing 48 editions, plus putting stuff on the website, stories. And it 40, was just, 
48 editions weekly? No, a year. A year. Okay. So that's four per month. Yes. It was crazy. You know, the cash flow, trying to keep up with all of that, all the printing costs, postage costs, it was just crazy. So we said, you know, we've got to combine all this into one issue and make it just one issue, but we'll talk about regional things. In I see. The issue. So that's where we um, moved in 2016. And that really helped a lot. Good. Um, that's wow. There's yeah. You know what? I think you are a serial entrepreneur. You always wanted to be in business. You're the idea generator now as well. So that's cool. Let, let's, let's bookmark a couple of thoughts. I, I want to make sure the audience and I understand more clearly to the, to the measure that you want to explain. So AN Media Group, right? That's yes. that's the company. So it's the media umbrella. Yes. And the publication you're referring to is Architects Newspaper, right? Yes. And there are some other publications as well now, correct? Yes. It's okay. One is called AN Interior. AN Interior. And CE Strong is a continuing education platform. Yeah, I think we've been doing that for, well, we, what would happened is we partnered with, um, oh, what's his name? He lives in Florida and he does a lot of continuing education thing and has his own little um, glass and metal um, symposium down there. Um, Sean Donovan. And um, we, because he was doing all this back end uh, CEU development, we partnered with him and we launched an app for continuing education, thinking that nobody else had an app. This is going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread. Well, nobody wants to take continuing education off off an app. Interesting. (laughs) Okay. So let's. We tried that for a couple of years. Didn't work. Then uh, Sean, we split ways and we have a website and we've just been growing this uh, (laughs) every year. And last year we did 30 webinars on this platform. We did a thing called talking trading um, trading notes, which we started in April uh, of 2020, just to get you know this is all Zoom stuff, um, just to get people talking about subjects. We covered BLM, we covered PPP, we covered all kind. I think we did 20 something Friday talks, and we would get sometimes we'd get a thousand people showing up on Zoom. Wow, are these are these four credit uh, continuing ed for technical professionals. Yes. Architects and engineers. Yes. Nice. I, I was not aware of that. So I'm glad we yeah. could make people aware of it. <laughs> uh, sure. If people don't get tired of hearing my voice, that would be great. I actually have one, uh, believe it or not on uh, curtain wall and cladding. So I know that's a real shocker. <laughs> we can talk about that more. So, okay. Uh, actually I have a really geeky question which may have no interest to anybody else, but I'm fascinated. Barb Katsos also talked about her experience in direct mail. And I was also listening to a Tim Ferriss podcast and Michael Dell actually cut his teeth on direct mail. At one point, Michael Dell, when he was 16 years old, he hired 10 of his friends because he was working for the newspaper in Houston. And he found out that if you checked marriage like that it was available through Freedom of Information Act marriage certificates. And he found out that the biggest demographic that was likely to be settling in and wanting to get a newspaper to know what was going on were people that were newly married. So he had all, so he cut his teeth in direct mail. Barb had talked about direct mail. You're talking about direct mail. Like you need, you knew how to buy ink and paper and all that. Did direct mail, like it sounds like it helped inform your confidence in and ability to execute in the publishing arena, is, is that a fair statement? How did that work? Yeah, um, because I knew what the prices should be. And um, also, you know, if you're going into something and you don't know how to make what you're going to be selling, mm. you know, that's just such a hurdle to come over and, and, you know, get lost in like, who are the best vendors to go to? What should the pricings be? How do you put a mailing list together to get to a, a printing? We're not, ta- we're talking, you know, at the time we were doing like now we do 50,000, 25,000, 50,000 runs. Um, that's what our, our magazines are, the print run. But um, how do you have the confidence to, to do that? And think, okay, how am I going to sell enough advertising to pay for that and pay for everything else 
it's just, you know, what margins do I have, you know, Mm -hmm. looking at all that stuff. um, I mean, it's, it's business. It's, you know, what businesses do, but I, because I love the numbers and I wanted to control it all, Mm -hmm. that was the way I could control it. I see. And, and I felt like having that understanding that one component um, after doing it for 20 years, I knew about the mailing list. I knew about how to set up the postage and, you know, postages. I just had to write a $20,000 check this week to mail wow. the last issue. That's what it costs these days. Wow. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's, I, I, I wish I could get out of the printed paper. I it's, see. Just be digital. Is, you know, you asked me about a, a point, a pain point. Passion point, pain point. Yeah, passion point. I wish I could get out of the printed paper because, uh, first of all, I don't want to be printing paper like that anymore. But um, our audience is visual, and I feel like they still like that. They want to see something tangible in their hands that they can read. And, you know, I know when I look at, I look at the New York times and when, and I have friends that still get the New York times and, you know, you, you scroll through the top stories of the day and you don't really see a lot of no. what's in there. You're right. Um, so I feel like that happens when you're looking at a printed piece as well. Do you find that's a really insightful statement. And, and then I want to get back to the content of architects newspaper um, and ask some questions there, but that's a really interesting comment. I, I, we get a, a local publication, Crane's Cleveland Business. Yeah, yeah. And there's a local writer, Stan, who's terrific in the architecture space. But yeah, I agree. Like my thought is like, let's say Glass Magazine or U.S. Glass Metal and Glazing, like the daily quick update, the snippet I get in my email, super easy to go through. But an actual paper or the magazine, I, I can't absorb the content electronically the same right. way yeah, as, exactly. yeah, it's, it's an interesting dynamic. So thanks for that. That's an insightful statement. Um, so if, if I'm an architect, I'm an engineer, I'm a design professional, I'm anybody related to the construction and architecture and all of that, or just an interested party, what's kind of the, the content and offering of architects newspaper? Like, I know you talked about, how you deliver, like the voicing that you're allotted, but what would we be absorbing? What would we be looking for? Well, um, so there's two things I think that happens right now because we can't, I mean, we still believe in regionality Mm -hmm. because, you know, one of the things when we first started is the United States is so big that you can't cover and the, the codes and what's happening in the East Coast is so different than what's happening in the West Coast versus, you know, the North or in Texas or even in Florida. So it's very complex. And um, and that's one reason we did uh, start it regionally is because we would write these stories and have people in those markets that were writing. So, you know, it's like, your hometown newspaper in New York, if we have like somebody that, you know, dies, we, we do very well on obituaries. We get somebody that knew that person to talk about them, write about them. There's a code change um, that happens. Plus we profile large projects. Um, You know, we also um, talk a lot about kind of the art side and the culture side of architecture because architects think of themselves as an artist in a lot of ways. So they want to know if there's an exhibition that happens or, uh, or that they should go see or a new book that came out. So we do book reviews. So it's not just hard architecture. It's also the culture of being an architect. Um, oh, I think I just came up with a new ta- tagline. I like um, that. No, the culture <laughs> The culture of being an architect. Yeah, keep going. I, I got a couple follow-up um, questions. So what we did is when we ran, when we um, stopped doing the regional print issues, we started, and I got this from the New York Times because they do this thing at three o'clock, like what you need to know right now or what happened today. So we started a newsletter that's called um, the Late Edition. It comes out at three o'clock every day, and it, it's regional. So we have regional stories that um, there's like six regional stories that come out every day at three o'clock. Wow. Region. Every day. Every day. 
So that yeah. means we're putting together four newsletters every day with different regional content. And is that coming out in electronic form and yeah, paper it's a form? Digital, it's coming kind of goes to 17,000 uh, readers in okay. each region. Um, so that's kind of what replaced the regionality. I think it's important I to see. know uh, what's happening in their backyard. Yeah. Um, and it, we're kind of like the metro section of a newspaper. Yeah. About things that are happening, you know, in your city. That's very interesting. It's, it's very uh, kind of more down to earth in many ways because it, it seems more relevant in that context than Architectural Digest and some of the other you know, publications and magazines. I like your comment about the culture of being an architect and the the artistic part, the artisan part. I've had the pleasure of interviewing several. Dan Winterick from the West Coast. He's actually went to high school with me, and that's a whole other story. John Marks with Form Four, and I, I am always fascinated by deep down and even on the surface, architects are very mostly are very serious at being curators, artisans of building, expressing expressing their art in the form of a building. And a building, you know, Barb talked about this last week. She said, you know, when I was in B2C um, in consumer stuff, like, you know, one minute you're hot, the next minute you got to do something else. But once you get a building in place or a facade on a building in place, you're going to see it for 50 years or a hundred yes. years or longer. Isn't I just love that. So that art, that culture that we can create could be terrible or wonderful. Don't you think? Right, exactly. And that's why I think it's important to have a critical voice so that, and, you know, we've, because, um, People really pay attention to what we write and we've stopped, you know, historical buildings from getting torn down. Um, we've, uh, you know, people read us and, you know, Bill had a big following and when he would express his um, opinion about something, people would listen. Hmm. And um, so getting back to the culture i'm trying to tie that back into the culture the culture of being an architect yeah the culture of being an architect um so but it and i don't think all you know i don't think people all understand that um that side of it so much if you don't really know an architect personally or you're not really embedded in the architecture profession how they think and what is what are their interests so it's not just plain straight you know, I'm going to put up a wall. I'm going to buy this material because um, I'm telling you, when we try to get those lists from architects to tell us what did you put in this building? What did you spec in this building? It's a very hard process. <laughs> <laughs> That's some very serious stuff. I like, love it. That's a good on, comment. This is important. People want to know. <laughs> That's really good. Um, so you're on this, you know, I'm going to call you. You're the you're at the top of this media group, which I think is spectacular because I, I think you can position in a lot of ways with a media company. Actually, this is, I've always, it, it, it doesn't play completely at all, but I've always viewed more uh, from my perspective, I always viewed a company as more of a marketing or media company that happens to do something else, because I think it's important to have a voice as a corporation, what you do is one thing, but your why is a whole other. So I love that whole media aspect. And you've got these publications, but you and I met through Facade Plus. And I think it was the first facade seminar of its kind in the United States. Is that a correct statement? Well, um, no, there was somebody else that we kind of put out of business um, so this is how this happened. Okay. I, um, had been working with, uh, the, um, steel Institute in New York, the ornamental Institute in New York. Um, I used to cu custom publish their magazine and do their marketing under the umbrella. You know, it was just a custom publishing, um, thing that we did in the beginning. And, uh, I knew that Bill and I knew we had to diversify and create something you can't succeed and be and keep in business just doing a magazine that just mm -hmm. no way you've got to 
I heard this one time, I think it was when Politico was starting, that you have to stack dimes. So that's always been my motto. We stack have dimes. stack dimes, whether it's a little bit of money from social media, a little bit of money from this. But so we wanted to start a conference. And um, I had seen this conference down in Texas. It's called TexFab. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It was a group of guys. They'd gone to school at Columbia and different places up here, but they all taught at UT Arlington, Rice, mm -hmm. University of Houston. And they were doing this conference called TexFab. It was about fabrication and like parametric design. Mm -hmm. And I thought I reached out to them and said, hey, do you guys want to do this conference in the North? And they were really willing to do it. At the same time, Gary Higby, um, I told him what we were doing. And he said, well, if you'll talk about facades, I'll, I'll give you sponsorship money. And I was like, okay. Nice. <laughs> so we just kind of meshed these two things together with the guys from TexFab kind of helping us put together this these workshops on um, digital fabrication and the interaction of um, sending files through um, you know, developing the files, sending them to the engineer, sending them to the contractor. That was all kind of beginning when we started this in 2012. Um, and there was a real eagerness for people to get knowledge about that. Cause you know, I guess it'd been being, it was being taught in school, but it was right in the beginning. Uh, so we, that's how it all started with facades. Plus we did that first one in New York city. We had, um, Patrick Schumacher is our keynote from uh, Zaha Hadid's office. And we had 300 people come, show up. I think we had maybe six or seven sponsors. Uh, and then we, I, somebody told me I needed to meet Mick Patterson. So I went to LA, went to his um, facade tectonic things they were doing at USC, met Mick. He, he loved what we were doing. he Loved the paper. He didn't know anything. He was like, I keep trying to figure out who's doing metals in construction. And so anyway, we merged and worked together with Inclose for about three years. And um, yeah. then, you know, they decided that wasn't what they wanted to do anymore. And we kept going. But, you know, it just kind of organically grew as we saw, OK, we're going to do Chicago. And then every year we're like, OK, let's do six. Let's add, let's do 10. Then we started these morning programs. So it's just evolved every year. It changed. Yeah. So we're doing, we were doing 14 events in 2019. In 2012, we're going to do 12 events. And we're kind of 2021. I mean, 2022. Oh, 12 events in 2022. Yes. Yeah. That's what we're going to do. We're going to scale back just a little bit. Do you, do you still have two big ones and the rest are regional, smaller or? Um, yeah. So we, New York City is our biggest event. Um, so we actually, you know, to talk about what happened this year, um, we went, uh, virtual in 2020 with facades and, you know, we, we use zoom to do some of our virtual events and we do use this other platform called Hopin, mm -hmm. which is a little bit more complicated, but you're able to give like, you know, fake or not fake, but, um, you have this little room you can go people, virtual room. Yeah, virtual room. That's Breakout room, yeah. Have, yeah, they can have that virtual room. And I think we're experts in this. We've done so many of these virtual events. Uh, it kind of, you know, there we've got a decent amount of people to come and attend them, but the sponsors don't like them. They just didn't like them at the end. Uh, so we that's how, how we got through 2020. 2021, the first half of the year, we couldn't go live. We decided to, like, you know put a stake in the sand and said, we're going to go live at the end of July, which we did. And we've done eight live events. Um, we just were in Boston yesterday. Uh, we have limited the amount of sponsor tables and um, we're getting about 50% of our uh, normal attendees that we did in 2019, but it's okay. People are happy. People are <laughs> happy to be out in a, and having live in-person conversations. Um, the architects are happy to be, you know, being able to tell their story and be on stage and attend something. And I think, you know, be able to ask questions of sponsors. So that's all gone pretty well. It's not easy. Every single city has its own challenge based on where they are mm -hmm. with their mandates and, um, 
and the timing of how people uh, sign up for these is very short window where, you know, because we've done so many of the many, many of these events, we, we really look at, okay, what happens a month out? What, ha- where should we be, you know, 10 days out? What did we do historically in the past at the city? And the window is like, you know, we do get some people that sign up before two weeks out and we're like, mm-hmm. oh my God, this thing's not going to work. Nobody's going to come. What are we going to do? And we start like, you know, we're the wizard behind the machine, pulling levers, making things happen. And it has worked so far. Um, so we feel like if we can get, I think we had a hundred people sign up for Boston and maybe I think 70 came. So there is a fall off rate, but we we're making it happen and we're getting through. That's really good. Do you find that because that is typical with continuing ed to and events like people hedge, 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 hedge. And do you find in the last 72 hours, 48 hours, we like what's the window where all of a sudden, oh, yeah, this is getting traction. Do people wait till the last minute? Oh, yes. Yeah, I think we were. I don't remember. It was like maybe Thursday or Friday of last week. The event was yesterday, Thursday or Friday of last week. We may have had 40 or 50 people. And then, boom, all of a sudden we had a, a yeah. lot. So um, it's it's nerve wracking. It's yeah. nerve wracking. <laughs> How many do you So you've done eight since the end of July, which is amazing. Do you have more between now and the end of the year? So we have L.A. in two weeks. OK. Uh, and then we have Seattle the first of December. In between all that, we, you know, we have these other virtual events that we started in 2021, the fall of 2020. Um, We have one called Tech Plus, which we've done in person, but now then they're mostly just virtual. And it's about technology affecting the AEC community. Uh, So we've been doing that event for about five years. And that's next week. Um, then we that's, have that's virtual or live virtual. Okay. Then we have another event that we call reuse, which is about preservation. And we started that, I think this is our second one. Yes. The first one was in the fall of 2021. And that I, we had 400 people that showed up for this virtual event. The first one that we did, uh, the reuse one. Yeah. It's about preservation. <laughs> And they're national events that, you know, there's CEU component. Um, it's a symposium where you put, you do it on the Hopin platform. And that has been very successful. We have another event called um, a landscape event that we're rolling out, which will happen in um, December called Outdoor Spaces, because we have a large landscape um, architecture audience as well. And I think I feel like there's one more. I'm like, there's Tech Plus reuse. Uh, I feel like there is one more I'm I'm leaving out. Um, but these virtual events, I think, are going to stick around and stay in some capacity. Yeah, I agree. That it's nice to be able to get out, but it's also nice to have many options with virtual events, and people have gotten quite good at them. Yeah. Um, Gosh, that's it's so you had a big response to the reuse. Uh, in your memory, when you started the facade plus, um, in 2012 or, or about that time, were you surprised at the level of turnout and interest, uh, in the first couple events, or did it pretty much follow the path you thought it might? No, we had no idea. You know, I feel like really? the architect's newspaper, we put it out there. We had no experience at doing this. It was just, it happened. It worked. And I, I don't know if it was the combination of, you know, Bill and um, just the need at that time for something different that hadn't, hadn't come about in that, in the architecture industry before with the way that we wrote edit and then the regionality of things. Um, but with facades, um, so the, there was another company called IQPC. It was a large um, conference company that came out of Australia and they had this facades event and they were charging a lot of money. And there was somebody that used to go to all of them. And he told me 
that you know facades made him work harder and you know it wasn't good because people showed up and he had to talk to people this is a joke yeah yeah <laughs> no i get it that's funny <laughs> and uh we just didn't know it was just another instance where it was the right timing with the right subject uh for what was happening in the industry yeah it really was mick patterson was on a, one of the early creating structure podcasts too i I enjoyed talking with him, his whole background with industrial engineering and industrial design. And he had the advanced design studio at the time in New York and in LA. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yes. And some of the, in fact, I attended one of the facade plus Friday sessions at the advanced design studio that Enclose had in that office. I think it was in Midtowns. I think it's right. Yeah. 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 I remember, I remember, you know, I, I had the, romantic views of hailing the cab in New York city after like, I didn't have a car cause I'm in New York. I think I'm like on 18th or 20th or something. And I, and it's kind of raining like it is today in Ohio, it's 48 degrees and raining. And I walk out and I'm like, you can't just find a cab in New York city. I mean, people are like laughing at me just dry. So I think I walked all the way back to my hotel. It was like on 55th or 56th oh street. God. Yeah. That was Terrible. <laughs> some days it happened like that. I didn't make yeah. that mistake again. I, I went straight to one of the hotels and uh, gave the bellman a very large tip and asked him if he could get a cab for me. And I had one very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I digress. Yeah, I, the facade, facade Plus was quite interesting. I know Facade Tectonics is still out there and they have some annual events as well. Um, uh, the last facade plus I was at, I think, was in Seattle, and uh, that was good. It was one of the uh, half day sessions, I think you call them. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Eight, session. Right. Yeah, but but even then, it's eight to one or something. And I thought it was funny. I walked into this Seattle facade plus um, about seven forty five in the morning. I, I saw Brad Walker and Brad Glauser, and then I. I saw four people from Northeast Ohio, all within a 30 minute drive of my office. And we just oh chuckled that, that we hadn't seen each other in in like nine months. And here we all were standing in the lobby in Seattle. That's what I like about these events. You see people and you get to catch up. That's one of the fun things. Yeah. Well, you know, I always say we've created a tribe. It's our, it's our tribe. Yeah. And um, we try to, you know, talk to the whole circle of the building um, from the architect to a consultant, to the engineer, to the contractor, to the manufacturers, you know, everybody's in it together trying to um, solve this problem and make a better building. And that's what it's about. You know, that's mm-hmm. why I do it. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it's very important for our financially for our business, but it makes me feel I'm not an, an architect. I wasn't trained as one. I've always, you know, let me digress one moment. When I was in at UT Austin, I dated some architects. I had no idea what they did. All I knew was they were always in the studio. And um, I didn't really, I had no exposure to that profession <laughs> at all. Yeah. But, um, that's what I can give back is just bringing people together. And, you know, they do the hard work and we bring them together to um, create this building. These buildings. Like it- well, like you said, it's all about relationships and it's all about community as well. You've created right. a community and, but you know, fabric and textiles, you, you have an eye for color and tone and texture and having that lo- there's, there's a relationship. It's all connected in a thread with the tone and texture and fabric of buildings. So obviously that's interesting. I thought you were going to say you dated a few architects because they had tossily hair and they were a lot cooler than the engineers who all had pen <laughs> protectors that carried a briefcase. Right. So, um, so you've talked some about publishing and you've talked about, you know, facade plus and, and your other events, which I'm super fascinated about this tech plus and reuse. I've got to look into those. Um, you mentioned social media before we uh, started to record Um some of the expanding areas that what was your take or comment there about social media and the influence and importance of that? Well, um, so with every channel that we have, whether it's arch, um, the architects newspaper, a interior tech plus facade plus 
think those four channels, um, we have a website and we have a social media. They all have varying numbers. Um, mm -hmm. Architects newspaper has 103,000 followers on um, Instagram. Facebook has like 700 something. I don't even know. I'm not a Facebook person. I'm not a Twitter person. We do that. And I don't really look at it. I'm a visual person. I like Instagram. Um, I also like TikTok. I watch TikTok and don't go down that rabbit hole because it's uh, very, um, it's very addicting. But there's so many things that are changing right now on Instagram, um, trying to compete with Amazon, you don't, you know, you can set up a store on Instagram now, right? You don't even have, you know, they're just, they're rolling out all different kinds of things. And I feel like, you know, I look at Instagram a lot. I follow you, John. I watch, I look how your garden is growing. <laughs> Thank you. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> and, um, so I really like that medium. And so we are starting to work on reels. Um, which are small oh, yeah. TikToks, really. They're one minute, um, you know, little video that has music behind it. We just started this like two weeks ago and we're really putting them out for uh, facades um, as a new way to get people to look at what we're doing. I we see. haven't been able to measure yet um, if it's having an impact, but that's something we're starting to do. And um you know, some of my editors don't necessarily like this medium, but I feel like it's not going to go away. And I, I, you know, we have news, we have paper, we have newsletters, we've got websites, we've got social media, we have, you know, uh, webinars. It's a friend of mine who's an architect said, look, I get all your different kind of things, but sometimes I catch a story that I'm interested in because I got it in a different format and it ran in multiple things, but I saw it in one format that caught my interest. Yeah. So, um, you know, when you're trying to get someone's attention, it kind of takes, this is what I've heard in terms of marketing, it takes nine times to catch someone's attention. Like if you're in sales, yeah, you've got to at least call nine times in order to maybe get somebody to respond to you. And I feel like that when we're putting out this information, people are going to um, read it in the format that they prefer. Yeah, people have very short attention spans. And years ago, you know, we could watch ABC, CBS and NBC, right? And right. maybe if you were rich enough and had a cable to your house, you could see cable. There was no social media. There was no Internet, this great quote, middleman of the world. And so now you've got all these different forms. Do you have a dedicated social media team person that like, no. do you? <laughs> no, it is the next hire that we will have when we I get see. back to getting, you know, where we were prior. So different, to so different people on staff just handle it or you handle it? No, I don't handle it. You have to be like 20 years old, 30 years old to handle that. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the other thing I wanted to just point out, and it's something I don't know if, if people have noticed this or not, there's another new kind of situation that's happened on Instagram. Um, it's called, there's different backends that you can use. And I just noticed this about a month ago. So I don't know how long this is out. It's link in bio is one of them. It's called link in dot bio. Mm -hmm. So it's a third party system. You tell, you put it in place on your Instagram. And if you're posting a story, you know, like right now you post a story on Instagram and it doesn't go anywhere. You can't click through it. You'd say in your little, I copy, get it. Yep. Yeah. So when you, now, when you go, it'll say, read the story on Lincoln bio. So you go to the description yep. in the top of your Instagram and it'll say Lincoln bio. You click on that. It gives you the same look of your Instagram. And when you click on that story, it goes to your website. Right. That's actually been there a little while. And that's one of the big mistakes people make on Instagram. Cause I'm like this hip social media guy at age 61, but I'm just kidding. Um, I'm not kidding about 61, but I, uh, on Instagram, people make the mistake all the time to put a link or what they think is a hyperlink or HTTPS yeah. in the story. Door, you can't do it. That's not how Instagram works. You have to say link in bio and you go up to the bio. So like if you go to the Wheaton Sprague Instagram site, 
um, which we only have 490 followers, not 100,000. But the link in the bio is the, the, this podcast. If you, go to my, if you go to the link in my bio, I think it's my blog, which honestly, the podcast is like, a, it's not just a video audio blog, but it takes a lot of time to produce the content and to even do the, the copy edit to yeah. post it. It's like writing a blog. Um, but anyway, I, I like your point there. The nice thing I like, the thing I like about the link in bio is you can change it as often as you like. You know, you can just go in and edit the profile and put a new link in the bio. So sometimes that might go to your website. Sometimes it might go to. No, no, no. This is different. This oh, is it different. is? Okay. It's, called, it's a third party. LinkedIn in, bio? LinkedIn.bio. I see. So it, it, it causes all of your stories to have a link. All of the stories, all, your, all of your posts have a link when you go into um, the I see. bio because you're really going into the third party situation. So all the stories have a link. Wow. Thank you for educating me. I was I'm behind on that. Go to Arch, uh, go to uh, I think it's Arch Paper on Instagram. Yeah, I follow you guys. See how it works. So see how and that's how it works. So that's something new. We just rolled out like a week ago. Nice. LinkedIn by okay, that's good to know. Um so your point is there's these different channels and there's different expressions, right? You've got the newspaper, you've got the live and virtual events, and you've got different social media channels, different websites. So there's all these different forms and types of distribution, right? Of content. Right. Right. Some visual, some written. Do you guys have a TikTok channel as well? No, no. I, I'm too afraid to go down that path. I get I you. Might, I might try to start doing some kind of bad dance and then I'll embarrass everybody. And uh, yeah, I, don't I think you probably don't watch TikToks. I so don't. You, so you didn't I've, get that joke. Everybody does dances on TikTok and they're pretty good. Yeah, I, I would be really bad at that. Or I'd get a lot of laughs because I can't dance well. But I, I know many people that are TikTokers. My daughter loves TikTok, but I haven't, I haven't dove down that path yet. Probably good. So, okay. So social media, big relevance. I, I do find it fascinating. I need to spend more time looking at that. Like you can literally build a shop, a store in Instagram. Um, there's all these different platforms that you can just create revenue stream from, um, Shopify, eBay, you know, Instagram. It's amazing to me right. what you can do. They're all competing with each other. Exactly. Yeah. Facebook, Facebook Marketplace. So, yeah. So um, I know yeah, some. That's, I'm sorry. That let me let me tell you about with Shopify. So I told you I'm starting a new little business. Okay. It's called Puzzle Project, and I'm creating puzzles. And okay. they will be so, sold through Shopify, linked to the Architects newspaper, and they are iconic images or photographs by architects or, um, yeah, architects or architecture thinkers. And we're working on our first series that we're about to send to the puzzle makers in a couple of weeks, and they will get them back in like in March. That's amazing. How, how many pieces to the puzzles? A thousand. A thousand. That is so cool. Where'd you come up with that idea? You know, it was something I don't, it was just another, I always, I love puzzles. I've always done puzzles. I thought when, you know, when I see images, I've always like, oh, that would make a great puzzle. And during COVID, you know, I have these two friends that are puzzlers and we were working on a puzzle, having drinks. And we're like, we should start a puzzle company. And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And <laughs> I, just like, I was like, it's now or never, I'm just going to do it. I needed to prove something to make something different happen. And uh -huh. I'm like, let's just do it. So it's called puzzle projects. It's I created the LLC. It's got a little website. We're working with a Shopify developer and, um, Wow. We make it happen. We've so got licensing agreement with four different um, four different people. So it's 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 not under architects, architect media, A and media group. 
It's different. They are going to be our distribution gotcha. or marketing arm. Yeah, that makes sense. That's one of the things I love about your position with AN Media Group. I it's similar to Gary Vaynerchuk's VaynerX. You know, he has Vayner Media, he has Sashi, he has all these different things kind of under this one umbrella. And you can do a lot with a media group and all the different channels and the ability to interconnect them. You can do it with companies as well, but there's a unique position, I think, in a media group because of the amount of content that's distributed and the size of the network. It's different than than other forms, I think. Well, you have an audience and you figure out what that audience likes. So you have a built-in audience in a way, if you're doing something that people like. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like we do do things that people like. We have about half a million unique followers on our website every month. We put up six wow. stories a day on our on our website, on Archpaper. Um, so people do follow and they follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and um, so that's the best thing, you know, you find out what, what is it my audience is interested in? And we learned that they love facades and they need, and they need education about facades. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do come from the education part, uh, a lot with facades just to keep people in the know. Cause when you come out of architecture school, you don't really know how to build anything. Right. So, I mean, we know we try to get young people to come in. They're going to be your future clients and um, they're eager for information Yeah, uh, and to be part of. And, you know, it's the largest package on a building. So dollar wise. So people want to be involved in that aspect of a project and be yeah. experts in it. Oh, thanks for that. That's really clear. So. I'm fascinated by the puzzle project. Thanks for sharing that. That's going to be really cool. And had you had any Shopify experience prior to that? No. Yeah. So you're working with a Shopify developer to help set that, that plat, set your platform up. Yeah, You just, so you create a Shopify account. They have developers that pop up. You Mm -hmm. reach out to a couple of them. Um, You have a couple of conversations and then you kind of go down this path um with them and you show them different themes it's like a wordpress kind of what you know you set up a theme you show them show them other shopify or other websites that you like and um they kind of develop it based on that yeah shopify is shopify is amazing and to your point another place you can monetize is on wordpress you know you have a you different paid subscription levels and you can have a store or drive revenue through WordPress. I have a blog on WordPress, but, and as a professional blog or a business blog, I haven't gone down that path yet, but you know, a lot of consultants have a blog or a a page on WordPress and that's who hosts their stuff. So Mm -hmm. that's interesting. Uh, Okay. We're, we're getting close to the end here. We've covered quite a bit of ground. I've learned some new things on some of your other events and other groups. Um, do you have any advice to young professionals? You've just mentioned, you know, architects coming out of school don't know how to build anything. Uh, engineers don't really know how to practically engineer much either. Do you have any <laughs> advice to young professionals entering the business and workforce? You've been at it a while. Uh, that's a pretty general question, but I like to ask all my guests, like, what would you tell your 23-year-old self or 22-year-old self or your daughter or, or a grandkid? What would you tell them? Or if a young professional was talking to you like, hey, which, how should I be thinking? What should I be looking out for? Any advice? You know, I don't want to be too mystical, but I feel like um, with me that there was this path. I didn't always know what that path was going to be. Um, and there were opportunities that were put in front of me and you go down that path and you see where it takes you. Um, and you kind of do things because you like them or you have a passion about it. Um, and you kind of listen to your gut. I think, you know, a lot of it is listening to your gut. 
What do you like? And I think that might be happening a lot right now, you know, with the great um, resignation that we're in. Mm-hmm. Um, people are listening to their gut and they want to try something uh, different and they're following what their passion is and they want to go out on their own and see what they can do. Um, and it, it will lead them in a direction that may not, they may start at one point, but it will take them in a direction they never knew was going to happen in their life. Um, so I think it's sort of like that. Follow your gut and be open to opportunities. Yeah. I like that comment about paths. You know, the younger you are, the more time you have to follow multiple paths or take diversions from those paths. Right. So that's a great comment. Thanks for that. Yeah. Um, how about, yourself is there anything you like to do for hobby or recreation or are you just busy all the time is running the business your hobby no 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 i try for it not to be my hobby i it 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 takes a lot out of me especially you know sitting in front of this computer all day on zoom calls and um you would not want to see my office that i'm sitting in right now that's why it's all blurred Um, I have a house outside of the city that I love to go to. It's on the end of Long Island. Um, as you know, I have these gardens. Um, I just did some renovations in the house. My brother came up from Texas nice. and ordered him into New York, into New York, uh, to help me do some renovations. Uh, so I'm very happy about that. The other thing that I like to do that I don't ever, ever get time to do is I started quilting about five years ago. Okay. Uh, I like to sew. I sewed in high school. And uh, so that was sort of my other path. I was going to go into fashion and I wanted to do be a textile designer. So quilting is a way to, it's very geometric and it's, it's a creative outlet of putting together patterns and colors and um, different shapes. Uh, So that is my other passion. Um, and I have a 24-year-old daughter that keeps me busy. Uh, I have a little dog named Ziggy. And That's um, nice. so I would love to travel again. I haven't traveled in three years very much, but I like to travel. Yeah, that's great. And thanks for sharing that about the quilting. That I was going to ask what you like about it. And you already said, you know, it's it's tactile too, right? And you have, it's geometric. It's got fabrics and colors and it's completely different than looking at a screen all day or interacting in this way. That's really cool. Right. Right. Yeah. And the reason you see so many pictures of my garden is because I stopped traveling in March of 2020 and I couldn't take pictures of cladding and curtain wall and projects <laughs> that I could post. So yeah, that's been fun. I joke that I'm a farmer, um, a well, part-time a farmer. Big, it's a pretty big uh, garden that you're tending. It's, it's bigger than it's a retiree should oversee the garden. That's for sure. (laughs) Um, But it was a good diversion and we're still doing some of it. Um, Do you have any daily routines or um, exercises, whether mentally or physically, nutritionally, anything that you do that you feel helps keep you focused or grounded or, or, or are you just more organic in nature? Well, I, you know, I did and I was, uh, I try, I think about it all the time, but I think right now in this, I feel like, um, and I've heard a lot of people say this lately, I feel like it's just, um, life is kind of chaotic and it feels like it's kind of spinning out of control a little bit. Maybe Mm -hmm. it's because we're starting to go to different things. Um, I don't know, but if we could, you know, it was more controllable when we couldn't go out, we couldn't do anything. We just had to sit inside. And now then it feels very hard to keep up with everything. Um, and I don't have any routines and I need to have routines. I have a treadmill that hasn't been used, uh, since probably three or four months. So I, unfortunately I don't have any wisdom to give anyone. I wish I, I did have my routines in place. I bet a lot of people can resonate with that though. That's very transparent and honest. And, uh, I've sensed that too, my wife and I, that, you know, before COVID there was a certain normal that we were all used to. 
it didn't have to do much at all with virtual reality or remote unless we wanted it to. And then everything shut down, as you said, and it all went remote. And there, if that's what you were committed to, it made life pretty simple. You didn't go right. out to eat. Right. You didn't travel. You started a garden. You bought a boat. You went fishing, whatever, whatever it is you did. And now it, you're, we're straddling two realities. Well, is yeah. it? It's an endemic, it's post, it's the tail, whatever it is. So I think it's actually harder. I think it's harder. There's more energy. I keep a pretty strict routine just because my brain needs it. But um, it is harder out there. Like, well, what are my options? Do we get together or not? Do I travel or not? You know, so, yeah. To give you an example, last night I had a dinner, sit down dinner party in my law for 21 people. Wow. And it felt great and it was fun, but it was a lot of work. I'm exhausted. That's exhausting. It's exhausting. And tomorrow night is the AIA New York's um, yearly benefit event at the Javits with 600 people at a sit down dinner. Oh, I'm still like, should I be going to this? I think we're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. Well, you know what? We've hosted 20 people before. That is exhausting. It's wonderful, but you're right. The the outfall is, oh my gosh, how did we even do that? Yeah, so thanks. That's cool. Well, um, you've been very generous with your time. I've learned a lot and uh, you're a busy lady. A lot, of, a lot of cool stuff. Keep us informed about the Puzzle Project. That sounds really cool. That's so You'll fun. You'll see it on uh, one of my channels uh, soon. <laughs> yeah, you are a serial entrepreneur and yeah. <laughs> continuing. So thanks for your time. Uh, anything you want to say before we sign off? No, it's great to see you, John. Thank you so much for inviting me on this. Um, it's I love talking and telling my story. Um, it's you know, I feel like it's a unique story and my path has been varied and I like to share it and um, encourage, you know, young people to just follow your dreams and you never know where you'll end up. I like that. Thank you. Well, again, you've been very generous with your time. I really appreciate it. So ladies and gentlemen, you have just invested another hour plus in the Creating Structure podcast. I hope uh, you've enjoyed it. She's Diana Darling. I'm John Wheaton. Thank you for listening. We're going to sign off now. Have a great day.